All right, uh, we'll uh, we'll start here, and uh, this is a, a question regarding the um, the uh, questions that were uh, for the presentation. One is, uh, so how does one really let go of prior relationships? How does one really let go of prior relationships? Well, I'm not not sure what the context of that question is. Uh, I think you just you just let go in your in your mind and in your heart you say that that's over uh, in our in our presentation it was primarily uh, mother and father you leave your mother and your father how do you do that well I think mom and dad ought to help you do that uh, by preparing you for marriage so that you're not always running back to them dependent on uh, Finances dependent on counsel. Uh, they need to uh, take their hands off of you and let you go your way. Uh, you shouldn't shouldn't be calling mom and dad when there's a problem in the home. If you do call them, they should say, uh, "Get off the phone and go talk to your husband and go talk to your wife." You need to fix this. Another one is, how have you and your wife handled your son's peer pressure? Uh, I think in your testimony you shared about your uh, son um, had, you know, there were some peers that were negative influence. And, and how did you handle that? Or how did your younger children react to your eldest child's challenges? Do you want to talk about that? Would you like to stand? and? Uh, Okay, yeah, our, our oldest son did have a lot of negative peer pressure. We, we had moved around a lot in our life, and he found that being the new kid in a school, uh, it, was, it was primarily the, the bad kids that would, would accept a new kid in. The church kids were more discerning, I guess, or, or had their own cliques or something, but were not so welcoming to a new kid and so Mike ended up with a lot of negative peers how did we handle that we we tried to know as much about his friends as we could we didn't always uh, weren't always on top of that and uh, how did how did his brothers react to his troubles well our house was a war zone for about two years and sometimes we would find his little brothers they were age like four and six, uh, huddled together in a far corner of the house, just sitting quietly while the war was going on somewhere else in the house. And and so that was a big impetus toward uh, getting us to put Mike in a residential program because we knew the harm it was doing to his little brothers. Now, how they reacted since then is that they have seen what his behavior cost him and and they grew up a different way. They they didn't repeat his mistakes. I think it's very important for you to. One thing my wife did uh, early on was when our kids had birthdays, she would say, "Invite everybody you want to come," and we would have all the friends. And it was in elementary school that was often the whole class in our home, and and she would. 
she would watch them and make little mental notes, if not physical notes, about how this kid acts, what this kid's behavior is, what his personality is, so that she would know when they wanted to have a sleepover at somebody's house or something, she would know if that kid was going to be a good influence or a bad influence. And we would steer them toward the ones that we wanted to to have around our kids. Last night, we talked about overprotectiveness as parents, and we said it is not necessarily a bad thing sometimes. But could you explain when overprotectiveness does frustrate and exasperate our kids? Well, I think if you're overprotective, and by that I mean you don't let your kid do what normal kids that age with reasonable parents would let them do. You're seeing your child as two or three years younger and unable to uh, handle the the activity or or situation that they want to do. I mentioned uh, the lady that wouldn't let her kid make mud pies, wouldn't wouldn't let her kid build sandcastles, wouldn't let him do anything that had germs on it. Well. You know, that's a little unreasonable and a little overprotective, and it makes the kid scared and paranoid about everything. Um, I did not mean, uh, some people thought maybe, maybe we were thinking homeschool was overprotection. I think that's, homeschool is appropriate protection to shield, uh, shield children from some of the things that are happening. Um, in our world, uh, what, what was, did I answer that? Um, it says explain if when overprotectiveness does frustrate and exacerbate well, it, our kids. it frustrates a child when when the child has sense enough to know what I'm asking to do is not all these other children my age are doing this and. It's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing, and it's not really a dangerous thing. And and you're just you're just uh, afraid. You're you're parenting out of fear and not being reasonable. That's frustrating. This is a question regarding a family vision statement. Do you have any ideas on how to write a family vision mm-hmm. statement? Is it important? Or what would go into a family or a mission? We never did. Statements. We never did do that. I I think it it sounds like a good idea. I think what would go into one would would be something along the lines of reflecting the glory and the will of God uh, through our family. But you know that sounds pretty theological and spiritual. I'm not sure your eight-year-old is going to get it. So. Uh, we, we never did that, so I just probably am not the one to ask about that. Um, you talked about no sorcery in heaven or our home. Do you have an opinion of some of the latest teen crazes of Harry Potter, Twilight, or other forms of entertainment? I do have an opinion an opinion about it and that's what it is it's my opinion and uh, I, to me it, it's just uh, enough on the edge and enough uh, it's marginal enough to where I wouldn't I wouldn't encourage it in my family um, there there are some things to take into consideration is all fantasy 
evil? I don't think so. You think of uh, the novels of C.S. Lewis, and the witch, the lion, the witch, the wardrobe. There, there are some magical elements to some of that. Uh, but it seems to me, and, and I don't have teenagers anymore, so I, Harry Potter came after my kids were that age. I don't really know that much about it, but it seems to me, I see some kids walking around with, with uh, sorcerer's robes and staffs. To me, that's taken a little too far. I, I wouldn't want my kids involved in something that is going to suck them into uh, a fantasy world and, and a lifestyle. I will tell you, uh, many years ago, uh, I, was, I was off teaching a class, uh, a weekend seminar, and I taught all night Friday, and I came back to the hotel, and I turned the TV on, and the 700 Club was on, and there was a man there talking about, uh, about this very thing, video games that were promoting sorcery and stuff. And, and uh, when the show was over, I prayed, and, and I said, Lord, if, if there's anything like that in my house... Just put it right in front of me. Put it right under my nose so that I know and can get it out of my house. I didn't. I had no indication that there was anything like that. But I came home uh, Saturday afternoon. I opened the door to come in through uh, my son Mike's room. And right there in front of the door was this table. And there's Castle Grayskull and He-Man and Skeletor. Do you remember those toys at all? And he had had those toys as a boy. They had been put up in the attic for ten years. They, they, they were gone. I'd forgotten all about them. But now, after I've prayed, Lord, put those right in front of my face if there's anything there. I open the door and I can't get in the house because there they are. Well, it turns out that they had been in the attic. Uh, Sandy had been in the attic moving some things. And Mike said, can I help you? Well, that was a miracle right there for Mike to offer to help his mother move anything. And she said, yeah. And he got up in the attic and he said, hey, is that my old He-Man stuff? Yeah. I'm going to take that down to my room. I mean... It was pretty clear to me that God was putting that right under my nose, which is a kind of a prayer and a phraseology that I had never used before. It wasn't the way I prayed, but somehow I just said that in a prayer, and there it was. And so I told Mike what had happened, and he said, let's get it out, and we put it in the dumpster, and and that was gone. So I do think there, there may be some dangers in some of these entertainment things. I would be very cautious about... Anything that promotes uh, the occult and all. But I wouldn't necessarily make it a blanket statement about all kinds of fantasy. Uh, I mentioned C.S. Lewis. Is that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you know, mm-hmm. pray. God will let you know. And uh, when you know, then do what he says. Mm-hmm. Thank you. What is the interpretation of Proverbs 22, verse 6? And I'll read that for you, for you all. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Is it referring to a person's relationship with God or a person's talent? 
Okay, I think I think uh, the reason. Whose question is that? Uh, when you say, is it referring to his talent? Uh, I think the Hebrew there is train up a child according to his bent. And when he is old, he'll not depart from it. And so some interpreters say every child has different gifts. Every child is wired a different way. He has different uh, talents and, and inclinations. And so the proverb is saying, train him up according to the way you read your child. How, how does he learn? How will he, what's he meant to be? Train him up in that way. I, I don't think... That's really uh, the interpretation. I think it does have uh, reference to his relationship to God and and the way he should live ethically and when he's old. And what version are you reading, Pastor? Did it say even when he is old? It says even when he is old. even Even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. This verse was a, a real source of condemnation to me. When we were going through things with Mike, because I thought this is a promise from God. And so God always keeps his promises. I must not have met the condition. I must not have trained him up in the way he should go because he's not he's not following the way he should go. And some folks tried to comfort me by saying, well, it says when he is old. He'll not depart from it. So what, what that means is he may depart from it, but when he's old, he'll come back to what you taught him. But clearly that's not what it says. It says even when he's old, even when he's out from under your house and out from under your control, even when you don't have a say in it, he'll continue to go in the way you've trained him. I think that's the meaning there. Where I was missing it, though, is this is a proverb. It's not a promise. And a proverb is a general rule of thumb. And generally speaking, if you train a child up in the way he should go, then he'll continue in that way even as an old man. But there are exceptions to every general rule, aren't there? And you may be godly parents and you may have done everything you ought to have done. And and Sandy and I didn't. We we messed up in, in big ways. But... You may have done everything you ought to have done, and the child still depart from the way you've taught him. Don't condemn yourself about that. And, and then there are other parents who don't do it right, and the child turns out okay by the grace of God. So. Uh, question for either of you. Um, how do you counsel couples regarding birth control? Do we truly trust in God's sovereignty and provision and rely on the fact that children are a blessing from the Lord? Or should we use human methods of control, quote unquote, how many kids we should have? Uh, should we just trust God that he will provide versus our own uh, desires? Uh, we don't counsel people about that primarily other than to tell them to see God's uh, will for their life and, and not to... You should trust God. You, that's scripture, right? Trust God in all your ways and acknowledge Him. But are you not trusting God to get rid of your headache because you take an aspirin? 
Are you not trusting God to get rid of your cancer because you go see a surgeon? Um, So, yeah, you trust God. That doesn't necessarily mean that you don't use common sense and, and human means and medical means to control some things. Now, if... If you're using birth control because you're not trusting God, then that's a sin. So you have to kind of weigh that within your own heart and before the Lord. And and certainly whether you do use birth control or don't use birth control, you need to trust God. And believe me, God can get past whatever birth control you're using if he wants you to have a child. I mean... He gave a child to a virgin, right? And he gave a child to uh, a hundred-year-old man and a ninety-year-old woman. He can give you a child even if you're on birth control, if it's his will. So I I would just say the husband and wife have to talk to one another, talk to God, and and let him guide them. I, I can't guide them on that. Um, again, a question for uh, either of you. What is your opinion of homeschooling in today's society slash culture? How important is it? What if you don't feel God? What if you don't feel called to do so? What are the positives, dangers? What about being salt and light? You want to take that? No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we, we have the greatest admiration for homeschoolers. When Mike was uh, in, uh, like, junior high, 6th, 7th, or 8th grade, we tried it for a short while. We, I had told Mike that uh, I wasn't going to continue paying tuition at a Christian school for him to keep messing up, and, and uh, he's, he did mess up, and I said, okay... We're going to homeschool you. And he said, I'm not going. (laughs) And I said, guess what, Einstein? You're already there. Uh, so, So we have great admiration for homeschoolers. We did homeschool for a short time. Uh, Is it important? I, I think... This is another one of those personal family issues where you have to come to grips with what God wants you to do. There's an awful lot in public school that you're going to have to unlearn your child. Uh, Evolution and and different ethical matters and inclusiveness and tolerance. Misnamed tolerance. Um, So you're going to have to... Do a lot of homeschooling, even if your child is in public school, you're going to have to re-educate and re-indoctrinate into the biblical ways. And I'm glad you have a, a strong church and a strong youth group to do that. What about salt and light, the question said. Well, uh, your child can be salt and light in a public school. Your child can be an influence for good. Uh, in that environment, but she has to be strong, he has to be strong, he has to get that from home and from church to be salt and light. So, uh, you know, if God has led you to homeschool, 
wonderful. And, and you're, you're blessing your children in a great way. If you are not fit for that, if you're not equipped for that, uh, it might not be such a great blessing for you. You have to, before God, uh, put that out as, as I'm willing to do this, Lord, with your help, I will do it if you want me to. And Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. So uh, I think if you ask him, he'll tell you. The question is, um, how do we properly protect and raise up daughters until they're married? Put them in a box. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you have just really ugly daughters. You train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. You you know who their peers are, who their friends are. You put them in an atmosphere of peers and friends that will treat them respectfully. You, You build up with your marriage a model of how a man ought to treat a woman. And... And make sure that your daughter wants a man like her daddy. The one who treats her like you treat her mom. Right. How much, um, again a question for either of you, how much should parents help kids with the purchase of a car, a home, etc.? Boy, there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of these things that I don't have a biblical answer for. Uh, so many of these things are personal, and you have to be led of God. We uh, we helped our children with cars. We uh, the latest one. We told our son Jason, our youngest, if you'll work and save your money. We will uh, we'll pay half of a car for you. And Jason never saved a penny. We didn't think there was any danger of anything <laughs> happening here. So that kid got to work at a sports store in a mall while he was in college. He worked. When he wasn't in class, he was there working. He worked like a Trojan. He didn't spend any money on anything. And before I knew it, he's calling us up and said, I've got $6,000 and I found a truck for (laughs) $12,000. And you said you'd pay half. So uh, he and I had to get in the car early one morning, drive to South Carolina, and I had to fork over half the cost of his truck. Uh, I, that's not. I'm telling you my story so that you can avoid my mistakes. <laughs> that's not not necessarily my counsel to you. But we did help our children. We we had a rule that before you get a car, I don't know. How, now, if your child is gone and married and grown, th- this would be a whole different thing. So I don't know who asked this question or what the situation is, but. When our kids were in high school, we had a rule that 
When you drive, it's going to shoot our car insurance way up. So you have to have a job. You have to have a job to make that difference up for car insurance. You have to have a job because you're going to need gas. And if you've got a car, you're probably going to be going places and doing things. You need a job. You need money. And so I think it's important. And I I know in, in the Asian culture that education is so priority. And it should be a priority. But if you don't teach your children to work... And, and to have some of their all be de- independent a little bit, then when they get married and they're gone and they have to do it all, that's kind of like throwing them to the sharks. So I would, in high school, we, we had our children get a job when they had a job and had kept it a little while so that we knew they could keep the job, we helped them get a car. We also gave them a credit card. Which, you know, that this is a personal thing. It's not necessarily my counsel to you. We said, this is for gas. Because we don't want you to be in Alabama somewhere at a conference and the car breaks down and, and you're there with no money and we have to go across the state to help you. Or it gets towed back or something. Uh, so here's a credit card. This is for emergencies. For gas and emergencies. Anything else on that credit card, when the bill comes in, you better have the money in your account to pay for. So, uh, helping them with the house, we did that too, didn't we? With my... uh, You know, a parent wants to help a child. We never did give, give money for a house, but we loaned money. And we're still receiving payments every month from Mike and Lindsay. So, um, again, it's, it's a personal thing. I think it has a lot to do with the temperament of your child, too. Is your child going to see this as, as a free thing? Is your child used to not uh, meeting his own needs? Is he used to being a moocher and a loafer? Or, or is... This just something that is going to help them out and, uh, and they'll pay it back. Or if you choose to give a gift, do that. It's a personal thing. I got no counsel. That took a long time, didn't it, for no, That's okay. for no answer. This one, <clears throat> I'll preface it in that, uh, again, it's for either of you and I didn't I, write this. Either, either of you has become me. How, <laughs> how do you overcome shyness to ask? someone out is that from you now I didn't write this just ask her I don't know if the person who wrote it meant for me to ask it on their behalf or are they trying to do me a favor (laughs) just answer the question well I have I haven't asked somebody out on a date for 30-something years, 40 years probably. So why don't you answer it? <laughs> In the booklet, it's Q&A with you. Well, it's a neat Q, but I don't have an A. Uh, how, how do you overcome the shyness to ask someone out? You know, I don't, I don't think you 
overcome shyness. You just defy it. You just, just you, you just step out. You just step out and shaking and trembling do it. You just say, "Hey, would you go out with me?" Hey, I'm going to the movie or I'm going to the ball game. Would you like to come? What are you? Do? You're the youth pastor, James. You're the youth pastor. How do you do it? You, you know, youth, youth group is a great chance because then you kind of then I can scope them out to make sure that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm now you know it's not from me. See. <laughs> Was that the last one? There are, uh, I'm sure, well, those are all the written ones. But uh, are there others? I'm sure there are others that have come to mind. Any follow-up on any of these? Yes. How do you guys, how do you guys discipline a rowdy toddler in public? A rowdy how do you, how do you become how do you do it you know cons, you know to keep consistency like yeah. say if we spank him at home I mean how do you keep that consistency when we're out in public it, this is something this was one of my big mistakes uh, when Mike would get out of line in public I was I was embarrassed and I ignored it I I laughed at it I I uh, didn't deal with it we were in a in a college dorm situation, and uh, when he'd get out of line, I, w- I would think, well, that's a reflection on me, and so I'm going to act like it's nothing. We're just playing or something, and wouldn't discipline. And that was a big, big, big mistake. So I think you do have to be consistent. Um, these days... You have to be careful what you do in public with your child. You could, you could have the police all over you. So I would, uh, I would take the child somewhere private, a restroom or somewhere. You know, if you're in a restaurant, take the child to the restroom. Say, look, you know what's going to happen to you. I'm going to spank you if I have to bring you in here one more time. You stop it. That way the child comes out and he's not crying and, and everybody doesn't think you're uh, an abuser. But if it happens a second time, you have to take the child in and and deal with it. I I feel I don't I don't think uh, the child dependent. You said a toddler. So I don't think the toddler can think far enough about wait till we get home. You know, that's that's an eternity away. I'm going to have a whole lot of fun between now and then. So. Uh, I think you've got to deal with it quickly and uh, possibly give one warning in private in a way that that child knows you mean it. And then the slightest little uh, violation of the crossing over the line, you have to take them back to a private place where you're not on video camera. And uh, we don't see you on the 6 o'clock news. <laughs> Any other shy people want to ask a question? <laughs> um, I have one. It's like how often or how many times or should it be only once that you tell a child that, you know... Um, to do something and mm-hmm. you know 
It should only be once, right? And they should do it, right? <laughs> I'll uh, let her ask all the rest of the questions because she has the answer as well as the question. It should be once. It should be once. Yeah. It. It. You should. You should tell them once to do it. And uh, you shouldn't say when they're not do it, when they don't do it. You shouldn't say. Why didn't you do this? You should say, what are you supposed to be doing? Uh, cleaning my room. Go do it. And, and then, uh, and possibly say, and if you don't, here's what's, here's what's going to happen. If I have to tell you a, another time, here's what is going to happen. Now, you can't you can't start a child off if you've told them 10 times before, you can't start telling them just once and then the hammer falls. You have to give them some warning about this is what's going to happen if I have to tell you twice. But yes, you're right. You should just have to tell them once. God should only have to tell us things one time, right? But does he ever have to remind us of what we're supposed to be doing and uh, what, we're, what he's told us? He tells us over and over and over again, doesn't he? Because we're, we're children, we're prone to forget or to think, uh, he didn't mean it in my case. We still have some time. Questions on how to handle parents? <laughs> So, um, in your opinion, should parents use more a reward or punishment system? Well, I, I think I think it's equal. I, I think I think in life, if you do right, you get good. You do wrong, you get bad. I don't think it should be more more reward or more punishment. It it's equal, and uh, that's just natural consequence of things. Um, I think I think parents should definitely recognize good behavior and encourage it. You know, let the child know, I saw that you did a good job cleaning up your room today. You, that was a wonderful. Uh, you, you did really good cleaning the table today you uh, you got your homework done right away today look you made an a on your spelling test or look you made a b on your spelling test that was that was good and and just recognize as much as you can the good things the good things are the things that we often don't see it, it seems like we don't pay attention to the bad things they they stick out like a th- sore thumb. They uh, we notice that right away, and we're quick to recognize and and talk about that. So, I think reward is very very important, and uh, and correction is very important too. I don't think it's more of one or more of the other. It depends on what the behavior merits.
Okay, is there any one last question perhaps? We have time for just one more. Is there a difference between bribing and rewarding? Bribing and reward? <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think reward... A person obeying to get a reward is a legitimate thing. Jesus offers us rewards for doing things. If that was a bad motivation or an unworthy motivation, then God wouldn't offer it. But he does, he does say, I'm going to reward you for these things. He warns us, don't let anybody steal your reward by uh, keeping you from doing this. You're going, to get, you're going to be happy one day when you do this. So I think uh, reward is a legitimate motivation for good behavior. It's maybe not the most noble and the highest. The highest reward is, or, or the highest motivation is what? I obey because what? Because I love God and, and He deserves my obedience. And and whether I'm rewarded for it or recognized for it or not, I should do it because that's what God deserves. But even though that's the highest motivation and the most noble, perhaps, uh, God still says, I'm going to reward you if you do this. I I think, is that a bribe? It might be. Well, I think uh, that's about all the time we have for. We want to let's uh, appreciate Dr. and Mrs. Kinnebrew for their time this afternoon. Well, let's close our time in a word of prayer, and then we'll have a few announcements. Hmm. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for this weekend and all that we've learned. And God, we pray that our homes, our families, and our relationships might be a reflection of heaven. And, Father, that you would especially give wisdom to us as varying situations in life, whether it is raising young children or the question of those who aren't married or those who are perhaps even empty nesters. Lord, what we are to do and how we are to conduct ourselves, God, you have called us to call upon you when we need wisdom. And we pray, God, that you would endow us with that. And that you would give it to us abundantly as you have promised in your word. So God, pray that you would bless us now. Be with the children especially. Bring them up, Father, and may you save their souls. That they might grow up to be godly men and women who have a passion for your glory. We give you thanks once again for this afternoon. The food that we're about to eat. And we pray, Father, protect us and give us a safe journey home. And once again, O Lord, we give you thanks for Dr. and Mrs. Kinnebrew who have come to minister to us this weekend. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a few announcements we'd like to let you know about, so Andrew.